0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Several years ago, I was on my way back from Mexico with a hundred of my closest high school friends, uh, riding a luxury school bus, living the dream. One of the rhythms around this place is over spring break, we typically take high school students to Tijuana, Mexico, and we build houses. And this particular trip, we're coming back, and we stopped at In-N-Out for lunch. Because if you are a student ministry and you are within a hundred-mile radius of an In-N-Out, you have to stop. I think it's biblically mandated. Uh, There's something in there. Luke chapter 8 talks about they got in a boat and out to sea. I don't know, something like that. So it's in there. So we stop at In-N-Out, and as we pull up in our luxury school buses, I notice that there are a couple of charter buses in the parking lot. And a couple of things immediately jump to mind. One is envy. Uh, The second is, oh, we're going to have to wait in line. And so we go and we wait in line with our group, and there's another group of students in front of us. And I notice right away that that group of students is very calm and reserved and well-behaved, and our students are crazy and... It's not reflective of leadership. That's not what that is. That's parenting. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So our kids are just, you know, joyful and bouncing off the walls and their kids are reserved. So we get, we finally get through, like it's namesake, you get in there. And and so we sit down and I'm sitting next to a group of students from the other group. And so I say, hey, uh, where are you guys from? And they're like, oh, we're from Oregon. Oh, that's great. What kind of group are you? We're a church group. Oh, that's great. Are those your charter buses? Yeah. Is your church hiring? <laughs> you never know. No, I, I learned long ago, don't make important career decisions on the way home from Mexico. <laughs> you wouldn't work at church after that. But, so we begin talking. And again, they're very reserved, very understated. So I was like, well, what did you do over spring break? They said, Oh, we went down to the beach outside of LA. Cool. So you had like a youth conference? No, not really. We just went to the beach and then we went to Disneyland. Oh, great. So you had like morning team time where you read the Bible, or or maybe when you were on Space Mountain, you were praying for the people. No, we just kind of went. And they told me the story of their spring break. Very lackluster. And then they said, Well, what did your group do? And I'm sitting with a group of students, and my students were like, it was awesome. We went to Tijuana and we built houses for people that didn't have houses and we rode a school bus and we helped out in an orphanage and we slept on these horrible mats and took cold showers and couldn't drink the water. Amazing. (laughs) And they just kind of got really quiet at that moment. And for me to sit back, it was fascinating to kind of see the dichotomy in the two stories. The one that you would look at and you would say, wow, those kids should be joyful didn't have any joy in their story. And the one that you would look at and you would be like, oh, that seems like a struggle. Those kids were incredibly joyful. And I'll be honest with you, I did not go into the Mexico trip with joy number one on my list. <laughs> I really don't. I go thinking, man, if there was better transportation and if I had a quiet space, and there's all kinds of things, but it's difficult, quite honestly, it's a difficult trip, but I always come away with joy. I'm always joyful at the end. But if you held up those trips in front of most people and you'd said, where are you going to find joy? You can go to the beach in Disney or you could be on a school bus in Tijuana. (laughs) Most people would say Disney because we're kind of wired to chase after those things. We're kind of wired to look for joy in those particular places. I think we're programmed as a culture to chase joy. But the thing is, joy doesn't work that way. You don't find joy, first of all, through direct effort. Joy is a byproduct of seeking something else. If you make it your goal to go out and to be completely joyful, I'm just going to chase joy down until I catch it. You're not going to catch it. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives a bunch of statements about what it means to be blessed. And he says, blessed are you when, and he lists a bunch of things. But he never says, blessed are you when you seek blessing. He says, blessed are you when you're humble. Blessed are you when you seek justice. Blessed are you when you seek mercy, but not blessing. And joy is the same way. We don't find joy by chasing down joy. We find joy by pursuing other things that will lead us to joy. And so if that's not the way, if we don't get joy by chasing it, how do we become joyful? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'll give you a little insight into where we're headed. In 1 John chapter 1, the author says this, We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Some versions say, we're writing these things so that your joy will be complete. And as we look at that, we say, wow, I want to have complete joy. I want to have a fullness of joy. Literally, that word joy means exceeding fullness. Like our students coming back from Mexico. And if that's how I want to live, then I want to know what these things are. What are those things that are going to lead that way? Not a fake joy, not a pretend joy, but an inner joy, a deep, satisfying joy that satisfies the longings and the frustrations of our hearts. And that's what we want to lean in on. We're beginning a new series. It's called Real Faith And we're studying the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And we're going to be in this series for the next couple of months. And it's going to be good, I promise. Time to lean in. Lean into these. These books, these letters that John has written us. Now, we're going to do some background. Since we're at the beginning, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the classroom learning about who John is and why he was writing this that will give us insight into what he's then telling us and things that will lead to our joy. Now, the best way to find out about somebody is to look at their Instagram. So I looked up the Apostle John's Instagram. <laughs> There's a, an image that's... Selfie that he took on the top there, and you can just read who he's following, and maybe at the bottom in the middle there who not to follow. But so it should come as no surprise that uh, John and First, Second, and Third John were written by John. Thanks, thanks for paying attention. The Apostle John. This is the disciple of Jesus. John. He wrote five books in the New Testament, John, 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 and then he went sideways and wrote Revelation. <laughs> and he tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he was first a disciple of John the Baptist. And then Jesus came along and called him to follow. And all four gospels tell the story of Jesus calling his first disciples, and John was one of the first. Luke 5 is is my favorite one of those tellings. It's where they were out in the boat, and and Jesus is teaching them how to fish, even though fishing was was their livelihood. And he said, throw the nets over, and they do, and the boat is so full, it's sinking. And they get to shore, and Jesus says, follow me. And it says, immediately, they left everything and followed. They left this huge catch to follow Jesus, and this began the adventure. And they were going to see amazing things. They were going to do amazing things, and that was just the start of it. As he began to follow Jesus. Now, he's also known as the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. Six different times in the Gospel of John, it uses that phraseology. But here's the thing. He wrote it. (laughs) He wrote the book. He wrote that about himself. And I wonder if you've ever thought, if you were writing a book of the Bible, what you would write about yourself. Because it seems like cheating to write that. I mean, it seems like writing, Jesus loves everyone, but I'm his favorite. Because no other gospel uses that distinction about John. Only in his own. But he is this, the disciple that Jesus loved. He's one of kind of the inner circle of Jesus' friends. He and James and Peter get these kind of special excursions. They get this special Jesus time. And when Jesus ascends, Galatians tells us that Peter and James and John were pillars of the church. Now, when 1 John was written, John had moved to Ephesus. He was well on in years. It's probably 85 or 90 A.D. And he's the last living disciple. All of the other disciples had been martyred for sharing the truth about Jesus, beginning with his brother James. And you can read that story in Acts 12. And so he is the guy. He's the eyewitness. There are things that nobody else in the world living has seen except for John. And so he's writing to tell us these things. John's writing to preserve the gospel. His gospel of John was written to initiate faith. These letters of John are written to preserve faith. They're written to give us certainty of faith. And it's not new content. We're not going to find a whole bunch of new things here in these letters. We're going to find a lot of things that Jesus said in the gospel of John. But he's writing to preserve this faith. You see, the church was about 50 or 60 years old at this time, and he's writing to second and now third generation believers. And these believers, he's noticing, are beginning to lack joy. He's noticing that what was once a flame is now a flicker. And it's not that it's external persecution. It's happening from the inside because there was a group of people that wanted to come into the church and improve Christianity. What you have going is good, but we have some other ideas that we think would make it better. They were trying to make it intellectually respectable. They were trying to bring in outward ideas of philosophy and thought and bring it into Christianity so that it would better suit the culture that they lived in. Now, this idea that they were trying to bring in is this this idea, this ideology called Gnosticism. And it's from the Greek word to know, and it's this idea of the impurity of matter and the supremacy of knowledge. And if you want to shrink it down even more, they would say spirit good, physical bad. So the world is matter. The world is physical, and that kind of stuff is bad. But we have spirit in us, and that spirit is good. And with enough knowledge, with enough enlightenment, we can free the spirit from the body and be better. Now, there's two significant issues that were arising because of this ideology. Two ways that the church was going sideways. One had to do with belief and one had to do with behavior. And the first was belief, and it was a belief about the deity of Christ. You see, if spirit was good and matter was bad, physical was bad, then you couldn't take spirit, holy, God's son, and put him in sinful body and have that work. Somehow that would make Jesus bad. And so they didn't believe in the deity of Christ. Something's wrong there. And maybe it wasn't just, it wasn't really him. Or he wasn't who he said he was. Or he wasn't really physically here among us. He was just among us in the spirit. And so they began to take away from this truth of the gospel that we know. And we know that if Jesus isn't who he said he was, then joy and hope are out the window. And so he was seeing the church go sideways this way on their belief. He was also seeing the church go sideways on their behavior. Because Gnosticism was saying that if the body's bad and the Spirit is good, well, what you do in the body, it doesn't really matter. What you do in the body can't affect the Spirit, so live how you want to live. And that's somewhat appealing. It really is. If there's an ideology that you want to be true, if there's an ideology that you want to bring in people to your church, yeah, you can follow Jesus and you can live however you want to live. You can do whatever you want to do. And this is what they began doing, but that leads to you doing whatever you want to do for yourself. That leads to selfishness, not joy. And probably a lot of the bruises and the scars that you have in your life are from living the way that you want to live. I mean, the stories that I have that I don't want to share with you guys are stories when I'm like, oh, I'll just do, I'll just do what I want to do this time. I'll follow my own self, and then I hurt myself. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon, it says, denied himself nothing, did whatever he wanted to, but then came to the conclusion that it was meaningless. And so the church is trying to latch on to this ideology of Gnosticism, and they're not believing Jesus is who he said he was, and they're not behaving the way that they should behave. And so John comes and he writes these letters, and you'll see that he's battling these things, because the two main themes running through these letters, he has two main images for us. And the first battles this idea of belief. The first image you're going to see in this letter is light, that God is light, that Jesus is light. And by that is, is truth. I want you to remember the truth. I want you to hang on to the truth of who Jesus is. He's very passionate about this. The second image that runs through these books is love. It, bat- it matters very much how you behave, We need to be a people that love each other. John, more than any other New Testament author, speaks of love. There's a tradition that uh, somebody in the second century wrote about John. It says when he was very old, he would have to be carried into the assembly because he was so feeble. And the whole time he would be telling the people that he passed, he would repeat over and over again, little children love one another, little children love one another, little children love one another. And it says the Christians would keep asking, why does he keep saying that? And he replied, because it's the Lord's command. And if it only be fulfilled, it is enough. And so we're going to see these two themes running through this book. We're going to see these letters as a very passionate, loving sermon to people that the Apostle John deeply loved. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. If you want to grab one from the pew there, it's on page 1031 we're just going to begin uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And you'll notice some of the language here. You'll notice that he begins with we and you. And it's this idea. We is this older generation and you is this next generation. It's these upcoming believers. And so he's writing we to you. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. And if you love Jesus, you will repost this 10 times. (laughs) I just want to see if you're tracking with me. Still paying attention here to the word. No, he begins by saying this. I saw it. John is supremely concerned with the historical, audible, visible, tangible Jesus. He's not saying, oh, I heard someone tell me a story once about Jesus. He's not saying, I read this in a book one time. And he's not saying, oh, it's just the spirit of Jesus that lives. You know, like we would say the spirit of George Washington lives on in politics or the spirit of Steve Jobs lives on at Apple. No, he's saying Jesus, physical, Tangible, Jesus alive lived on this earth. I saw it. He's the eyewitness to it. I ate with him. I hung out with him. We went fishing together. We went swimming together. We pulled practical jokes on Peter. It was awesome. (laughs) This is who it was. Now think about what the Apostle John saw. He was at the Transfiguration of Jesus. He saw the glorified Christ. He stood there with two other guys and, and saw Jesus this way, with Elijah and Moses. Imagine what that's going to do to you. And he heard God say, "This is my son." John was at the crucifixion. He saw Jesus die. John was also a witness of the resurrection. He saw Jesus alive. He's an authority. He's telling the story firsthand. He's saying, I need you to hang on to, I'm writing you these things so that you'll have joy because I see it dissipating in your lives as you chase other things. And I want you to have it. And so he says these things, what they are. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship. I'm telling you this so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. He's saying, I'm writing to you. I'm reminding you of these truths so that you'll have fellowship. It's that Greek word koinonia. It means communion, interaction, and exchange, participation. He's saying, I want you to have fellowship. And first he says, with us. There's a beautiful community as he opens up this letter. It's so important to me that you have fellowship with us because joy is collective, not individualistic. Joy is collective and not individualistic. Faith is meant to be experienced in community, and I hope that that's why you're here. And truly, we're thankful that you're here so that you can experience this community. And I hope we don't get caught in this idea that faith is deeply personal and it's only between me and God and not to be shared with anybody else. Sure, there's a piece of that relationship that's you and God, but faith is meant to be experienced in community. John understands that his joy will increase when the joy of others increases. When your joy increases, my joy increases. When my joy increases, your joy increases. And it rises together. And so fellowship with each other. And I realize community can be difficult. Community can be messy. It can be hard to find community. We live in a world that is more connected than ever through technology, and yet people are lonelier than ever. I read this past week that the most used program in the world is solitaire. This idea of doing something yourself, being by yourself. Now, I don't have firm data to back this up, but I believe that it's more joyful to win the Super Bowl than it is to win the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. I believe it's more joyful to win the World Series than it is to win Wimbledon, at least in my experience. (laughs) I don't have any... Well, I do have, in middle school, (laughs) my basketball team won the pseudo-league championship, So I had that experience. And then I won the sprints in eighth eighth period PE. So I kind of have both sides of that, guys. I'm speaking to you as one who has authority. No, but I I think there is more joy in community that way, even in those sports situations. Mark Twain says it this way, to get the full value of joy, you must have someone to divide it with. To get the full value of joy, you need someone to divide it with. Because shared joy grows. Shared joy expands. And John's saying, I really want you to have fellowship with us, true fellowship with us. That's why I'm writing. I'm writing to bring you back from not believing in Christ, to bring you back from doing what you want to do, to come in and have this fellowship. But what he's really saying is, here's the thing, our fellowship is with God and with Jesus, his son. True joy is found in fellowship with Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. And even though we don't have those experiences, it's my guess that none of you in this room have gone fishing with Jesus. That none of you in this room have actually shared a meal physically with Jesus. And yet we can still have that same experience. We can still have that same fellowship with Jesus. We can still know him. And to know him is to have life. John wrote earlier in his gospel, Jesus says this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. We shared in communion this morning and by sharing in communion, we were remembering the sacrifice that Christ made, that he gave his life to give us life, that he made a way that we could spend forever with him, that he made a way that we could truly have fellowship when we put our faith and trust in him and not just have a flat, one-dimensional relationship with him, to have a true relationship, a give-and-take relationship. And maybe you've tried that. Maybe you've tried that and you feel like that... that It didn't work. I've tried to have that relationship and it didn't work and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. I mean think about the difference between having a business lunch and lunch with a really good friend. When you have a business lunch you go into it with an agenda and you're like I need to get this done and this done and I hope the food's good and I hope they pay. That's what I want to happen (laughs) at this business lunch. But you have an agenda. You want to accomplish things. But that's not the case when you go into lunch with a really good friend or your spouse. You don't want to walk away from a lunch with your spouse and be like, that didn't work. (laughs) That just doesn't work for me. Because that's not what relationship is, right? Relationship is an exchange. And so... I have times with God where I pour out my heart, and I have times where I just praise, and I have times where I listen, and the more I listen, the more I hear His voice, and I have times that I just sit in wonder that He honors me with His presence. And that brings me this assurance. That brings me this assurance that I am His, and that assurance brings me joy. Christianity is the only religion where you can know where you stand right now. All other religions, you don't know where you stand until you die. Because other religions are based on performance. They're based on your life and your actions and your works and are you a decent enough person. And you don't ever know those things until you die. And so your whole life you're like, am I good enough? Did I serve enough? Did I give enough? Have I worked hard enough? Did I perform enough? And Jesus is saying, you don't have to perform Your relationship with me, your salvation is based on my performance. Which allows us to have relationship and fellowship with him. Everything Jesus did was so that we could have fellowship. Everything Jesus did was to remove barriers so that we could get close to him. And those are the things that we should pursue. Those are the things that we should chase. Fellowship. Jeremiah 9 says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. A lot of times we think those are the things that bring us joy. A lot of times we think those are the things that we should chase. We, want it, we, we love wisdom. We love power. We love wealth. And you know, That makes somebody happy. That makes somebody joyful. That's what life is. Life is found in those things, but that's not true. Those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love. That's what life is. That's what we need to lean into. Those are the things we need to chase fellowship. Not things that take us away. And this is what John was writing to tell the church. In closing, I just want to give us three things that that we can work on. If we begin by saying stop chasing joy, then what things should we be chasing? First is this, fellowship with others. And maybe begin by asking yourself this question. How much time am I doing life alone? And I get that there's introverts and extroverts. I understand that. But we're meant to live in community. And so how much life are you doing Alone, and then maybe ask yourself this question: Where where's my community? And I know that that can be difficult. Community is not a guarantee, and I know we as a church try very hard to to have community that people can lean into all over the place. But that's not a guarantee. But where is your community? And a quick reminder: Fortnite is not community. <laughs> if you don't know what Fortnite is, ask a middle school student they will tell you. Online gaming is not community. And so I would say make the bold, sometimes messy, difficult step to lean in, find community, find a place that, and not just any community, a community that has a faith element to it. A community that encourages you in your walk with Jesus. A community that you can lean into. A give and take community. Secondly, I would say this, fellowship with Jesus. And that's really the key. He says, I hope you have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with Jesus. And this is what I'm driving at. This is real faith. And so I don't know where you stand. I don't know if you really know. And not just intellectually, not that you could just pass a quiz on Jesus' knowledge in his life. You know, C, pick C all the time. That's the right answer. I'm not saying that. I'm saying has it really sunk into your life? Is there a difference in your life? Are you living in a way that you know you wouldn't be living otherwise if it wasn't for Jesus? And if not, then maybe, maybe you need to think about what it means. Every weekend, we have people at the cross after the service that just want to lean in and listen and answer questions and pray with you and talk about what it means to have fellowship. And maybe today's the day. Maybe there's something stern in your heart. Maybe you want to come over to the cross after the service and just ask some questions. Because that's where joy is. And lastly, I would say this. You could be in community. You could have fellowship with Jesus Fantastic. Continue sharing your story then. Continue to share your story. We're called to be witnesses, and witnesses just share things that they've seen. John is saying, These are the things that I've seen. I'm a witness. I saw it, and I'm going to share it with you. What things have you seen? What difference has Jesus made in your life? If you were here last week at the Vision 360 service, you saw amazing stories. That's not just their stories, those are our stories. The healing stories that we share from time to time aren't just their stories, they're our stories. And we want to be a people who begin to share those stories. Our testimonies are so important because you can't argue with somebody's testimony like you can argue theology. Because it's just that person's experience. It's your experience. It's the things that you've seen and heard. And maybe you look at this and you go, yeah, but, you know, The Apostle John, he saw and he heard some pretty amazing stuff. My life's not like that. As a matter of fact, my life is messy. My life's so messy that I'm afraid to share because I'll push people away. But I want to remind you that John's life was messy as well. Just because he's in the Bible, just because he wrote about himself that he's the disciple that Jesus loved, doesn't mean that his life was perfect. You know, Jesus gave nicknames to three people, Peter, James, and John. And he called James and John the sons of thunder. There's a backstory there that we don't quite know, but we know that there's a fierceness about them, both good and bad. And we see in Mark chapter 10 where they came up to Jesus and they're like, I know you have a lot of other people and a lot of other followers and, and disciples, but we think we should sit at your right and left hand, you know, when you're king of everything. And all the disciples are like, what? Starts this big argument and Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking. And then later on in Luke chapter 9, they're walking through... Uh, this village that doesn't receive them. And after they get to the other side, they're like, Jesus, that village didn't receive us. And so James and John are like, can we pray that lightning just smites them all? <laughs> and Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Haven't you been paying attention to everything I've said? Their life, they were a little bit messy. I mean, he was one of the close ones to Jesus, which has gotten me to kind of rethink this. Maybe they were so close to Jesus because he was afraid to let them out of his sight. (laughs) I mean, it could have been that kind of relationship. When I go on youth trips, I don't get the best kids in my group. I get the kids in my group that other people think are going to cause trouble. And if you've ever been on a trip with me and been in my group, I'm sorry you're finding out this way. (laughs) But their lives were messy. Their lives weren't perfect, and yet they saw Jesus, and they saw what Jesus did, and they knew what Jesus did in their own lives, and they shared those things. Guys, we are responsible for the next generation. It's not a maybe, it's a must. The next generation needs to hear our stories. The next generation needs to hear us share stories of faith and hope, and we need to speak life and grace and truth over the next generation. And they desperately need that from us. And we need to look beyond our own comfort. And we need to look beyond our own lifetime. Those are the things that we need to be chasing. And when we chase those things, when we chase fellowship with others, when we chase fellowship with Jesus, when we share our story, like John says, we're going to find joy. Our joy is going to be complete. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thank you uh, for John's eyewitness account. Once again, reminding us the truth of who you are. And this morning, I just want to pray blessing over this place. I pray the blessing of community over this place. I pray for those that haven't found community, that they they would find a place to lean in. I pray the blessing of fellowship with you, Jesus. I pray in this place for those that don't yet know you, I just pray that blessing over them. And for those that know you, that you would dig deeper in their lives. And I pray the blessing of courage over this place. Courage to share your story. Courage to share with others what you've done in our lives. Continue to make our joy complete. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.